Welcome to the Forged by Trust podcast. I'm your host, Robin Dreek, former spy recruiter and trust expert. This episode of the Forged by Trust podcast is brought to you by two amazing and free courses for you and your journey to success. First up, Jordan Harbinger's free six-minute networking course. Access your hidden network, connect with captains of industry, get your ask in gear, and be the first in the running for that new job or promotion Always have value to bring to the table and confidently command any social situation. Combine that free course with my free keys to communication course at peopleformula.com and you will be well on your way to forging the trusted relationships for all aspects of your life. Coming up next on the Forge by Trust podcast. I've had plenty of luck, had plenty of right place, right time, but some of the most major things that have occurred are because I'll be like, hey, what's going on? Just thinking about you wanted to introduce you to this person and it's like dot, 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 built a business with that person. It was like, why am I going to school and learn about rain clouds again for the 50th time when I could stay home and talk with Israeli hackers? And so that type of thing got me in trouble eventually, but it also opened my eyes to, one, I'm this sort of like self-starting kid because if I want something, I've got to do it myself and I learned that early. And then also curiosity guiding me was leading me far ahead of the pack because I realized, okay, there isn't some path that people give you to follow. And if they do, it's the path of least resistance. And it's the path of one of the lowest amounts of reward because that's what everybody else is doing. So I kind of early on was like, well, I got to do my own thing if I'm going to make it. Welcome to the show. I'm Robin Dreek. And on the Forged by Trust podcast, we decode the interpersonal communication skills of the world's most acclaimed forgers of trust. We unlock the skills and techniques from spies, spy recruiters, master interrogators, globally recognized behavioral experts, C-suite executives, entrepreneurs, acclaimed authors, and thought leaders. Each episode provides specific actions that you can immediately apply to any aspect of your personal or professional life. Today's episode, Stories, Secrets, and Skills to Make an Impact on the World, is with my good friend, the brilliant and interesting Jordan Harbinger. Jordan Harbinger, once referred to as the Larry King of podcasting, is a Wall Street lawyer turned interview talk show host and a communications and social dynamics expert. He has hosted a top 50 iTunes podcast for over 14 years and receives over 11 million downloads per month, making the Jordan Harbinger Show one of the most popular podcasts in the world. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, he deconstructs the playbooks of the most successful people on earth and shares their strategies, perspectives, and practical insights with the rest of us. During the episode today, we talk about networking, curiosity as a fuel, surrounding yourself with good people, forging trust with transparency, getting out of doors, creating innovative solutions, and how to make an impact on the world. I got the Jedi master of podcasting and interviewing. <laughs> How are you? Good, man. What's going on? First of all, I wanted to really thank you, one, for coming on the show and sure. sharing your expertise. I'm hoping I'm going to go in an area that people generally don't talk about because it seems to be a fascination of mine, and that's origin mm-hmm. stories to try to figure people out to who sure. they are today. But I wanted to first thank you. Your networking course, so I, I'm going to put in the show notes Great. And I'm going to, I've been promoting it nonstop. And I know it's oh, the last awesome. thing you ask people. I love that course. That six minute networking course is probably one of the best courses I've ever taken in my life. And it's free. Really? Wow. That's, that's big high praise. Cause I'm pretty sure you've had some tax dollar sponsored courses that were a lot more expensive. Just saying. 
I know. <laughs> well, Jordan, here's what's really great about well, you know what's great about this course. I'm gonna tell everyone else what's great sure. about this course. One, it's free. And it's not just like free cheap, like when Robin does something, it's you can tell it's Robin doing it free in his in right, his living right, room. Where it's like a P not when you do it, but a lot of people when they say it's a free course, it's a PDF and then you're stuck on their newsletter email and you're like, <laughs> How do I get away from this free thing that I don't eat one? Hey, don't give all. away all my secrets, Jordan. Uh, <laughs> but I it is a first of all, it's quality. You did a great job with the uh, obviously the audio, the video. I I loved it. But the content is so good. I use matter of fact, I've used this very statement numerous times where people say, Hey, Robin, what would you tell your 20 year old self today mm -hmm. that you didn't know back then? And I've always said for the last bunch of years, Hey, if I could just discover the challenges and pain points of others and how I can make their jobs in life easier, mm -hmm. that's what I've focused on instead of my own. I have literally added your course to that. Because if I had focused more energy on networking, building relationships, and as you do a great job highlighting, maintaining relationships, life would solve itself. Yeah, I feel like it's the best insurance money could never buy. And also people will go, look, I've had plenty of luck. And I'm sure we'll talk about this on the show. I've had plenty of luck, had plenty of right place, right time. But the some of the major, most major things that have occurred are because I'll be like, hey, what's going on? I saw you ran a marathon. And they'll be like, hey, just thinking about you wanted to introduce you to this person. And it's like dot, 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 built a business with that person and then exited or something and made, you know, either money or launched a career. And it's just like, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been congratulating somebody I hadn't talked to in five years on them running a marathon or whatever you know, else. I have goosebumps talking about it because I have literally two people in my life that have done this better than anyone I've ever seen. And it's you. And my other good friend, Dan Hoffman, who was a CIA station chief oh, overseas. Wow. And I mean, he is a master CIA guy. And he, his roller decks is unbelievable. He can pick up a phone and solve any problem, literally anywhere in the world from the people he knows. And you oh, are wow. exactly the same. And so that kind of gets praise. me. In, yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's well, well deserved. And I, when, when we met all those years ago with Chris, I... I, I knew about you because I mean it was like 13 years ago. I it was, was at least 13 years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you were still doing it back then, you know, working on the interpersonal skills and how to forge these connections. But that kind of really goes to where I really want to kick this off is your origin story. Sure. You you have these superhero skills of forging great trust and building great relationships. So what was it like growing up? Where were you? I mean, how did that all yeah. start? Yeah, yeah. So when I was a kid, I was an only child. Well, I still am an only child, I guess. But, you know, I don't think of myself as a child anymore. I guess that's the difference. But I was really <laughs> bored all the time because, well, I didn't really realize it, right? I was an angsty sort of middle schooler, but I didn't know that I was bored. I just thought, oh, I can't focus in school. And this is like in the beginning of the ADD days. So they're like, maybe as ADD, my mom's like, I don't want to feed my kid pills because she was a special ed teacher. And she's like, no, I've seen real ADD. This is not what my right. son has. And where but was just, this? And, I'm, and where was this? Where Michigan. This is like okay. Michigan, middle of America. You know, it wasn't really, I was in a good school, I guess, but it was still like a public school. And I was at getting really good grades. So nobody was saying, oh, this kid is a loser. We got to medicate him. It was like, he's not paying attention but he studies for the exam the day before the exam and he does it pretty well. So I guess everything is normal. But I was just like, I was that guy who, or kid, who would leave the house, forget the key to the house, walk in to grab the key, because uh, I'd forgotten it, grab a Coke, 
go back out, realize I forgot the key, go back in, put down my empty Coke can, wash my hands, leave, realize I forgot the key, go back. And my mom would be like, what is wrong with you? You know? And so that I led my whole life that way. And some of that's kid stuff, but a lot of it's just like whatever I had going on. And I'm still to some degree like that. What, what, I, did I was, your parents, what did your parents do going on? I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I, it's okay. My mom was a special ed teacher. So she, she right? was, that's why she was like, okay, you're, you're scatterbrained, but you're not like medically scatterbrained in my right. professional opinion. And then my dad was a, he worked at Ford. So he was just like an engineer, mechanical engineer. We were firmly in the middle class, I would say. Right. right? And, and in the, the middle of the middle class even. And so they lived, my parents lived well below their means and they moved us to the best public school district in the state of Michigan and, or one of the best public schools. So it was great because I was around all these really smart kids, some of whom tried hard and some of whom didn't try at all. And there were really good teachers and there were bad teachers, just like any environment. But I was, I was really, really bored. And I remember a friend of mine got a computer and I was like, this is really cool. This is the coolest thing in the world because he had a modem, which nobody has now, but he had a modem which allowed him to access the internet. And my neighbor also had a computer that had a modem that allowed him to access the internet and he was really into it. And so I would go to this kid's houses every single day for hours and hours and hours and we'd use the modem and we'd connect to the internet. And they would, one of the kid's moms, they, they were just really cool about letting us use it. So we would talk to Russians. This is like, you know, 1992, talking to Russians, nobody knew any Russians in 1992 who lived in the former Soviet Union. I mean, and we're chatting with them online and stuff and learning all this cool stuff. And I was like, this is, I'm stuck in this world of going to school and hating science class because it's boring and stupid. And I can go home and I can, my whole world is, I have this, I felt like I was in a prison cell. I'm No, no shade on anybody who's actually been in a prison cell, like kidnapped by Al-Qaeda. I'm not trying to trivialize your experience. But you know when you hear hostages say, I just looked out the window between the slats and I would look for a star. And that was my window to the world. And that was what kept me alive when I was a hostage in Somalia. That's how I felt in early in my life. I felt like there, there was this world outside. I couldn't find it. But the internet turned out to be that. And it was just this mind blowing thing for me. And I used it every day. And then my parents finally, I nagged them into a, just the point of insanity until they got me a computer as well that had a modem. And then that was the worst mistake they ever made because I <laughs> started skipping school all the time. As soon as I would get to school, I'd turn around and leave or my parents would leave for work and they'd be like, all right, the bus is going to be here in a minute. You go. And I'd be like, cool. And then I would just be like, nope, go back in the house, stay on the internet all day. Eventually my teachers were like, Hey, Jordan's not, he hasn't been in school for like a month. And they're like, what are you talking, what are you talking about? What you were know? you doing? What was, what was triggering the curiosity? So I was online, I was on internet relay chat, which is now, I'm trying to find an analogous thing for what we'd have now. I mean, it's not social media. It's just right. literally chat rooms on every conceivable topic in the world. I mean, you have, they were, they were hashtag rooms and it would be like hashtag hacking, hashtag phones, hashtag Israel, hashtag Canada, hashtag Michigan, hashtag law stu students. It, and there would be 10,000 30,000 different channels with people in it. And they were from all over the world. And you could just plop in there. And I figured out, all right, I want to talk to people from all over the world. And I would talk about to, to them about pretty much anything and everything. But then I started being like, well, what can I learn from these people? And some of the people that were on were like, 
kind of hacker types because this is early tech, right? It's not just right. like teen. There's not teenage girls on there generally there's not even sort of normal people on there generally it's all usually tech focused stuff because this is like early 90s right. deep it, d deep web ish type stuff that only people who have computers and universities not, yeah it was not user friendly it was you have no. to really know what you're doing in order to do it <laughs> right so it's it's mostly university students or professional computer users that are like networking engineers and then there was me accessing it via a library portal from my house. So people were like, wait, you're a, how are you on here? Where are you? And I'm like, yeah, you know, this is just me. So I started learning about how to hack telephones, internet equipment. I started doing some stuff that was not above board, one might say, and I became obsessed with it because it was like, why am I going to school and learn about rain clouds again for the 50th time when I could stay home and talk with Israeli hackers who during the Gulf War were taking down Iraqi phone systems and phone lines during like battles, I guess, really. I mean, they were kind of like cyber vigilantes or people who were tracking into somebody's bank records to prove that they were having an affair and they were doing it for a private investigator who was paying them. And I'm like, I want to help with this project. This is way more interesting than school. So I did that all day, every day until I started getting like really just my parents are like, you're going to fail at life. This is bad. The you're, you're totally blowing my mind on this <laughs> because your, your level of curiosity was beyond even at that young age you know, curiosity starts when we're younger because it helps us function and learn mm -hmm. how to explore the world in a in a in a way where we can start functioning. And a lot of times it dies off by around the age of nine or ten because the world says, Hey, you need to calm down. And obviously you couldn't. Right. <laughs> and I just trying to explore what kept feeding it was is is amazing to me. And so your your parents, did you have anyone else in your family that you would visit? What were vacations really. like? What were what were weekends like? What did you guys do? Yeah, you know, my, my dad was really busy. He worked a lot because he was like, I want to make a better life for my kid than I had growing up. Standard sort of parent thing. Sure. My mom had a really stressful work situation because she had a nightmare boss. I mean, school administrators, now it's kind of well known that they terrorize their teachers sometimes. This was maybe right. before people really realized all that. So, and, and then my dad eventually retired and my mom followed suit shortly thereafter. But before that, they were just really stressed out. My grandpa was sick. My mom was taking care of him. My mom's brother was stealing from my mom's, my grandma, you know, so she was trying to protect her mom and take care of her dad who's in a nursing home from her brother and deal with this stressful work situation. So she was just like, her mind was like not on raising me. Like she wasn't a bad mom. She was just busy, busy. with other stuff. There was a, a lot of, it was every day was an emergency. So she was dealing with that. Plus she had to go to work. And my dad was just like, I'm going to work for 12 hours because that's what you do when you work at Ford. And then to a two hour commute, you know, that was what he did. And so I was kind of unsupervised in a lot of ways. Right. And since I was getting okay grades, they were like, whatever, no big deal. But on weekends, yeah, my, my they would drag me up to this lake house that didn't have anything to do. And I really hated it. And sometimes I would try and weasel my way out of it or whatever. But yeah, it was just, it was not a great, so that sort of led to me being more socially isolated because friends would do stuff on weekends and I couldn't because I was never home. We were always at this stupid lake house. And I, I always joke with my dad. I'm like, you better sell it because if you leave it to me, I'm going to sell it and I don't care what price I get for it. And he's laughing because he's like, <laughs> I know you hate the place. So I just was more isolated. And then the internet stuff was making me more 
just not care about like going to the middle school football game. It's like, why would I do that where everybody else is when I can be online learning things you guys don't even can't even wrap your small midget minds around, you know, you middle school or early high schoolers. What are you ta- what are you thinking? So I got nerdier because of that. And or I should say like geekier and more socially isolated. But I was like, this is the future. These idiots are, aren't going anywhere. You know, the popular I had the early realization that the popular kids were going to be, you know, changing my tires when I was older. And so I was like, I'm not trying to be like these guys. Not that I feel bad saying that because there's nothing wrong with auto maintenance. But you know what I'm saying? Like, these were right. not people who are going to be going on to great things in life. I shouldn't even say changing tires. I should say these are the guys who are going to end up in prison because a lot of them did anyways. And they weren't, go- it was just like, why invest time in those relationships when I'm friends with some of these like super elite hacker guys online and I can't really explain that to anyone, right? You can't tell your parents that because they're going to be like, what if they're child molesters? And I'm like, they relax, they live in Tel Aviv. I think I'm safe, you know? And so I just sort of existed mostly in this online world. Now people, now it's normal to have friends you've never met in real life that only exist right. online. It's totally normal. Back then it was just creepy. That's just amazing to me. And you were even doing back then, the last exercise you have in your online course is the calendar house cleaning. Yeah. And you were even doing it back then where you surround yourself with people that elevate you and so you take on those characteristics. You're And Joe Navarro talks about this. I keep referencing his book in every episode yeah, I do because I love great. his book. I love his book, Be Exceptional. And the first, and the first sign of the exceptional is self-mastery. You pick the direction you want to walk in and you just dive in. And that's exactly what you did. When you combine that passion for self-mastery you had, which is your curiosity and the gift your parents gave you of freedom, of choice and Mm -hmm. empowerment to to take care of yourself. I had a very similar thing as an only child growing up with not much money. And and my my mom came home one year and said, I have no money for school clothes. Figure it out. And I was like, got it. And Mm -hmm. away you go to take care of yourself. It's very empowering. In in a sense that you don't even know it back then, but wow. Yeah, that's a good point. It was empowering, but I also definitely started getting in trouble too, right? Because it was like, if I hang out with the guys at school, they want to go shoplifting. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. Or like they want to blow up fireworks in someone's mailbox. We're not going to do that. (laughs) But then it was like, well, wait a minute. I've got access to credit card numbers. I've got access to telephone equipment. So I started wiretapping cell phones and listening to conversations that adults were having. That was actually something that I didn't even think was wrong because I was like, well, screw it. I mean, who cares if I'm listening to a call? Obviously, it's like a federal offense probably now or back then as well. But I I started hearing conversations that adults were having. And when you're a kid, you don't get a front row seat to adult conversations because adults don't have those around you at that age. So if I heard a neighbor who was getting divorced and he was having a really frank conversation with his friends, his mom, his sister, his buddies, whatever it was, soon to be ex, I was in on that conversation, whereas normal, healthy, well-adjusted kids, they don't have access to those adult conversations when they're young, and they shouldn't, really, if it's their parents. You know, you don't want a front row seat to that. But being around it with other adults that weren't related to me, it wasn't traumatizing. It was more interesting. Because until that point, adults were kind of these two-dimensional people that gave you homework or drove you somewhere or, like, made you food or yelled at you for some reason. They weren't they weren't 3D humans that had feelings right. and needs and, and failures. So that was an early lesson for me as well. And so that that type of thing got me in trouble eventually. 
but it also opened my eyes to, one, I'm this sort of like self-starting kid because if I want something, I've got to do it myself and I learned that early. And then also curiosity guiding me was leading me far ahead of the pack. So I, I was able to keep that mindset as an adult. And I think that's probably one of the reasons for my success in business now, because I realized, okay, there isn't some path that people give you to follow. And if they do, it's the path of least resistance. And it's the path with one of the lowest amounts of reward, because that's what everybody else is doing. So I kind of early on was like, well, I got to do my own thing if I'm going to make it. Yeah. And regardless of what people think of him, a great statement I heard someone say about Elon Musk is guys like him see around corners. Yeah. Yeah. That no one else can see around. And that's what you gain by doing that. So you say you're walking down this path and it it was going a little sideways with the things that you're doing, maybe getting yourself in trouble, skirting it. How did you then come back center ish and, and, and then decide to go to law school? Well, I, Got in in trouble enough times where my mom was like, hey, you're going to turn out like your uncle. And I was like, that's scary because he was the guy my mom was, you know, always fighting with and trying to have arrested for stealing from my grandma. And I was like, I don't think I'm that bad. But, yeah, I can see where this path leads. And I was just disappointing my poor parents. And I was like, this isn't really me anyway. And a lot of it was acting out because I hated school. And the 2020 hindsight, if my kids were like I was, I would have taken them out of school and put them in some other programs, realizing, hopefully realizing that they were just bored out of their mind, learning about Nimbus clouds, you know, with a bunch of kids that were years and years and years behind and learning. But then I, you know, I went to high school and I started to be in these more advanced programs where everybody was smart and the teachers were really good. And then I started to really shape up and I, I ended up getting straight A's through most of high school learning really complex college level stuff, not because I'm so smart, but because the kids around me were so smart and the teachers were so good that finally it was like, oh, they know how to engage somebody like me and they actually care to do it. Whereas before the courses were like, if you're not gonna sit there and do everything like everyone else, we don't have time for you because this is how school is and you gotta do everything at the bell. This class called Flex was, as you might guess, much more flexible. It was watching documentaries and taking notes and then talking about them. It was basically college, but in high school. And a lot of my friends in my study group in Flex went to Moscow to work at the CIA station there or work in Japan doing some kind of thing they probably are lying about when we, when I, when I asked them or they became something really special. So I fell in with this group of like really cool geeky kids that were also really, really sharp. And they brought me up to their level because, and that was my first, one of my first exposures to, Hey, if you surround yourself with really good people, you really can go far because in the, before I'd been surrounding myself with not great people and they were dragging me down. And then even my smart friends online were sort of letting me kind of drag, not dragging me, but guiding me into doing some bad stuff because I I didn't have any checks and balances. And I remember my high school friends, early high school friends, especially, I'd say like, oh, we can do this. And they'd go, nah, just come over to judge, you know, my friend's dad was a judge. Like, come over, the judge Brooke over is having a barbecue and we're going to eat there and then we can watch movies. And I was like, sure, that sounds just as fun as going and doing all this bad stuff my other friend group had planned that I was kind of nervous about doing. And they're like, yeah, just do that. So I did a lot of that and I really realized the the idea, the value of, not, I didn't think network, you know, but right. it was, 
I just remember asking Judge Brooke over questions, and he's like, well, if you ever need a letter of recommendation for college, let me know. And I was like, I don't think I would need, what do I need that for? And then sure enough, I'm applying for college, and I'm like, wait a minute, I can get a letter of recommendation from a judge? That's going to go much further than my neighbor or like my own dad or whatever I was right. trying to scrape the bottom. So I was like, this is what, this is like the secret world that successful people have access to that the rest of us don't really think about because we don't even know it exists. And I remember Judge Brookover coming in one day when I was printing off fake tickets to a concert using Photoshop on his son's printer with his kid. And he goes, <laughs> Look, 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 look. This is going to get you caught. This looks like crap. This, 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 and this. I don't want to see any of this. I don't want to know anything about this. If you're going to do this, you need to change this around and whatever. And I remember laughing because I thought, this is a judge basically telling me how to hypothetically get away with something that is definitely not legit. And then he was like, but I'll make you a better offer. I'm making ribs. Why don't you just stay home? Don't do that thing you're thinking about doing. I was like, I like ribs. That sounds good. I already proved to myself I can make fake tickets. I'll stay here and eat ribs. So there was a lot of that. There was just a lot of that in my life that was like kind of lucky, but as a re- it was a result of meeting great people, realizing they were great, sticking with them over the long period of time. And and just one more sort of funny anecdote about Judge Brookover, right? My parents who had never met him, they were w- there was a graduation ceremony or some kind of gra- National Honor Society is what it was. It was we get inducted to this thing and you walk over and you right. get a little certificate. Well, my parents were there, and they happened to be sitting right behind Judge Brookover and his wife. Again, they'd never met. I walk across the stage, and my parents, my mom goes to my dad. He looks like a gangster, because I had, like, a black shirt on, <laughs> and I, I my, you know, it was kind of, like, undone. My tie was loose, and I had these Dockers slacks on. Uh-huh. And Judge Brookover and his wife turn around, and they go, he's a very nice boy. I'll have you know. And they're like, we're his parents. <laughs> so that's how they met. My mom had to admit that she was my mom at, telling, you know, everyone who would listen, he right. looks like a gangster. And, my, the, you know, they defended me. And I thought, when I heard that, I, I was, it was a hilarious story, but it also it was like, this guy's an ally for me when I'm not listening to people he doesn't even know. And he's my friend's dad. And that that was like a really that sort of meant something at a time when you're just not thinking about connections as a kid. You're not thinking about your network. You're not thinking about oh, how do I grow my personal brand or whatever. Like all that is gone. But I had really early exposure to that. And that's just one example of that. But I think I had that at the right time in my life. Wow. I mean, he he validated you by what you were doing, and then he empowered you a choice about moving forward, which is two of my four pillars of of communication. But I really want to, you said luck. Mm-hmm. No, you were doing something that inspired him to have a connection with you. Any idea? I mean, what kind of person you think you were that your brand was back then that that you were doing something very right. This wasn't luck, you know, healthy, good, strong relationships. You know, this isn't luck. You were doing something. Any idea what it was? You know, I was, it's hard to say. I mean, some of it was luck in that those kids picked me out of the group of kids to start a study group on the first week of school. And I was like, sure, why not? I might as well study with the smart kids. But they kept you for a reason. They did. It's funny because I asked about this during a study session, probably like three years in. We kept the same group for years. Right. 
And I said, you know, I feel bad because I don't really bring any value to this group. And you guys teach me everything before the exam by talking to me about it. And they're like, what are you talking about? You do bring, you know, your mind to this. You think about things from all these totally different angles that we never thought of. You're always connecting things we'd never thought of. And I was like, huh, I didn't even notice that. You know, I didn't really notice that. So there was value there. But like many people do, I had been underestimating that value because that was my sort of my natural state was to connect weird things or think about things in a totally different way. So we often, I think, I think the lesson here is we often underestimate what we are able to bring to the table because it's something we've done for a really long time. You know, if you, if you grow up bilingual speaking Chinese and English and you get hired somewhere and they're like, well, we really prize your Chinese and English skills. You're just thinking, wait a minute. I, I never worked for these. I just grew up with Chinese mom and an English dad. What are you talking about? So you don't value that skill like an employer might, right? The employer says, well, you're going to make 10K more a year because you can speak Chinese and English, and we're going to lean on that. We're going to send you to China all over the place with all all the executives on trips. And you're thinking, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. But really, in a way, yes, but also it's because you have a valuable skill. You're just underestimating it because you never felt like you had to work that hard to get it. There's one other thing I'm curious too, the way you described it. So skill sets are always valuable. But again, if, if the person delivering that skill set is just a bag and you don't want to engage them, then it, the skill set's worthless. Right. The way you described your interaction with the judge and you doing, you, <laughs> you, you making fake stuff up, it, it, it sounds like you're being very, were you very transparent? Did you try hiding things or are you just kind of just doing bad things and being open about it? I was probably doing bad things and being open about it. Not with my dad, because he was very not understanding about anything. I do even good things and he just wouldn't even understand because he was like so tuned out and working all the time. And he had no idea how anything worked other than cars. Like he really just didn't have a clue. So, but my mom, I would sort of say like, Hey, I found out that you can do this and this and this. And she'd be like, just please don't like get arrested or hurt yourself or hurt someone else. And I'd be like, no, 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 this is how it works. And I would show her and I could tell that she was probably a little bit proud, but then she'd be like, I'm not going to show that I'm proud of you for figuring this out because technically what you're showing me is bad and I don't want to encourage it. But also, but I know she was sort of secretly like, wow, my son's figured this thing out. But she's like, but I don't want to encourage him to print fake concert tickets because that's the kind of thing that gets you arrested. So I'm just gonna say, why don't you go outside and play and I'm gonna make macaroni and cheese, right? So there was a little bit of that, but I knew she was happy about it. I just couldn't think of really other ways to make her happy. But my friend's parents, I was like, oh yeah, I'm printing fake Beastie Boys tickets. I'm gonna get front row seats <laughs> to this concert. And they would be like, "You, if you get caught, you are gonna get thrown out of there or and or arrested and I do not wanna see you in my courtroom. And I'm like, what happens if someone gets arrested for this? And he goes, all right. Real talk, you're a juvenile, this seems relatively harmless, I probably wouldn't do anything, but that's not what I want you to take away from this conversation. What I could do is sentence you to six months for you know juvenile detention, and that's a place you do not wanna be. In fact, now that I think about it, since we've had this conversation and I've warned you already, I will absolutely put you in there for at least 90 days, it's gonna be the worst thing ever, just stay here and eat the ribs. You know, that was kind of like, and I thought, this lesson is just as interesting as going to this concert that right. I don't really care about going to. So. That kind of transparency, I think they appreciated it yes. at some level because I wasn't the shady kid who was making right. their kid do bad things. I was the kid who was just trying to figure stuff out. And as soon as I did, I was like, hey, I'm done. One, you, gosh, I mean, you were the full package. You were teachable. 
transparent and transparency is one of the greatest things you can do to forge trust because mm. people knew what they can expect from you and you were letting them know. And you were one of the greatest things that we all wish we had was someone teachable in our lives that we have teachers, mentors, and guides and, and people that we can sh- pass that on to. And so you were absorbing everything like a sponge who wouldn't want that in their lives. So, and you couple that with your curiosity and your self-resilience. I mean, what a, what a great package. So you get, so next you, you move on, you get, why law school? Why, why go lawyer route? Yeah. I mean, that was one of those, like the, College does not, surprise, surprise, college does not prepare kids to get jobs. I remember when we graduated, I was like, I thought we were going to learn how to get jobs. And they were just kind of like, good luck out there. You're all so smart and bright futures ahead. And it was like, well, wait a minute, but what do I do? Do I go online? Do I walk in and ask for an application? What do I do? So while I was figuring that out, I went to Best Buy and my friend was working there and he's like, just apply here for the summer. We're definitely hiring. I can put in a good word. You can get a job. And I was like, okay, but I have to figure out what I'm actually going to do. I have a four-year degree. I don't really want to be at Best Buy, no offense. And he's like, no, it'll be fine. So I go in there and I'm like, hey, I can build computers. I know how to mount processors. I can do pretty much anything on a computer. I should work behind that desk that says customer service. And I remember the manager, who was probably a year younger than me, just laughing in my face. And he's like, those people have been here for five years. You're not starting in computer repair, dude. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I already know how to do what those guys do professionally. I don't need to take the training course. Like I can build the whole computer from components. I don't need to do, what What are you talking about? And they're like, you're gonna sell music for the, at least the first 18 months. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna sell CDs. My friend who works here, his little brother works in the music department. He's like 14. I'm not gonna sell CDs. I have a four year degree and $168,000 in student loans. I'm not gonna do that. So I didn't take the best, it wasn't an ego thing. It was purely financials. Like this is just a dead end job. They're not even right. gonna give me a shot at looking like anything above $7 an hour, six fifty an hour, whatever the minimum wage was back then, 525. So I was like, this is not, this is not the business. So I applied to get a scholar, what did I do? I applied to be a teacher overseas and I did this sort of junior Fulbright type thing. It wasn't a Fulbright, it's called ACTR Excels. It's kind of like a stepping stone to Fulbright. And I worked in Serbia in the former Yugoslavia and I applied to law school in the meantime because I was like, I just need more runway in the form of graduate school to figure out what I'm gonna do. And if I get a law degree, I can get a law firm job or some other job that is much more, not minimum wage. And while I'm there, I'll hopefully get some magical inspiration to figure out what I wanna do. And so I just went to law school almost like a default. It was like, I just need more runway. I don't have the prereqs for medical school to become a doctor. I'm not gonna try and spend 10 years doing that. I don't wanna study English or something like that. So I'm just going to do this law school thing. And that was not a gr- that's not a great way to select a graduate right. school or a career path. But nobody had the sense to tell me that because nobody knew. My parents' wisdom was go to college, go to grad school, guaranteed decent income, happy life. Everybody in college was like, great, we get more money from this sucker the longer he stays in our system. So they weren't <laughs> going to object. And nobody my age knew any better because they were all like, Ugh, I can't get a job. I work for my uncle's used car sales lot or they were going to law school. A lot of my smart friends were like, I'm going to law school. Those jobs pay a lot. You know, that was it. That was the whole decision process. R- ridiculous in hindsight. Again, it, it's funny what, listening to you breeze through going to Serbia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just went to Serbia and did all this. You said happy life. 
you've done a lot of things. And by the way, congrats on fatherhood. I, I can't wait to see if we can have time to explore how you're mm. going to impart great knowledge on your kids. Define happy life. What's a happy life for Jordan look like? Yeah, I mean, back then I was just trying to figure out some measure of stability because I didn't have any inspiration about what I wanted to do. Nobody, nobody when I was younger was like, you can start your own business. You can forge your own path. That wasn't something people did. Right. And the only business owners I knew in Michigan were people who owned Greek Coney Island restaurants, which are like hot dog and Greek salad right. places, which are awesome, by the way. Chinese restaurants, but what we weren't Chinese, so that was out. Or like a dry cleaner. There was, there wasn't, this person specializes in this thing, this unique and rare skill and turned it into a business. Like that didn't exist. That wasn't a thing that existed. So I didn't know that there were other options out there. It was like, I knew about blue collar, right? I shouldn't even say that. I, I knew about jobs that were trades like lawyer, doctor, engineer, police officer, fireman, plumber, electrician. Those are probably the only jobs I even knew exist. Teacher. Those are the only jobs I even knew existed. Right. R right. So going to law school, I was like, well, what's the one that makes the most money? And it, it's probably a plumber really, but I went to law school. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> went and to law school. Yeah. Or electrician or HVAC. But, but really then I went to law school and I was like, Hey, this is like, I remember when I got into Michigan law, people were like, this is great. You can write your own ticket. You have to take this opportunity. And all the lawyers that my dad knew were like, your kid got into Michigan. He has to go to Michigan law because he can get any law job in the country with a degree, a degree from Michigan. So I went there because that was again, the prevailing wisdom from people that had already just been through the same system that I had. And I was like, well, I'm going to do that. So I was only looking for the next step and for stability. I didn't have this grand vision of like, well, I wanna monetize this or I wanna do that. I didn't really care about money, but I knew I had student loans, so I had to make some to pay that, and that was it, right. that was really it. You had a lot of skills coming into all this mm. that you had growing up. Were you, can you in hindsight see where things were kind of developing and accentuated in any of those areas that kind of started steering the path at all? Yeah, I mean, when I, okay, so when I was in high school, my junior year, my girlfriend at the time, she was like, I'm moving. I just wanted to tell you, so we're not going to be together next year. I was like, oh, I get it, whatever. It's a high school relationship. <laughs> but I was like, okay, well, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to Norway. And so I'm, I, I, I'm like leaving. And I was like, why are you going to Norway? You know, why not go to boarding school literally anywhere else? why Norway? And she's like, it's a really good school and you can travel around Europe and da, da, da. And I was like, that sounds so much better than what I'm doing now. I can't even begin <laughs> to tell you. And she goes, you should go. And I was like, your mother is a senator. I don't think I can just pop over to a boarding school in Norway. That's probably like more than my parents make combined each year that you have to apply for two years in advance or more and be smart to get into. Like that's not going to happen. And then I said, what other options do I have to go abroad? And she goes, you could be an exchange student and I said, oh yeah, we have one of those. That looks fun. And she goes, yeah, here's the organization that does it. I'm, I got a catalog that my mom got from somebody. I'm gonna bring it over. So I got this catalog of places you could go. And I was like, I remember think, I had the same feeling looking at this catalog of countries that I did when I got on the internet, which was, you mean to tell me I can move to another country, start my life in a totally new way, reinvent myself, do this totally, totally, totally different thing. And then when I get back, I just go to college. I don't have to go to high school anymore. This, like, where's the catch? I get away <laughs> from this place. I do this other awesome thing. When I come back, this thing I don't like is over with. And then I go, and she's like, yeah, pretty much. So I ended up going to Germany as an exchange student in 1997. 
<clears throat> which was great because that was the that was a real turning point in my life too because again my friends that were just sort of like my other friends that were graduating they were older than me so my right. cool study group kids of, that kept me out of trouble were leaving the other group of friends that i had were now becoming bored seniors and they were doing dumb crap like mailbox baseball which is where you bash people's mailboxes and right. i was like i'm gonna i want nothing to do with these idiots they're gonna get arrested which they all did and my parents were like, oh, this is expensive. I don't know if we can afford it. And then it was like, well, I can always hang out with Adam and Russ. They got arrested <laughs> last weekend for selling LSD to ninth graders. And they were like, when do we, where do we send the check to get you away from all of these idiots? So <clears throat> I ended up going to Germany. But what was funny about this was Germany was one of the most common places to go as an exchange student. I wanted to go to, first I wanted to go to Hong Kong. My mom said, no way, it's going back to communist China. They might lock you there like they did in Berlin with people who are in Germany. No way. And I was like, oh, I'll go to Israel. And she's like, no way. They blow people up on buses over there. I'm not sending you there. So I said, where can I go? And she said, France, Australia, the United Kingdom, or something like that. So we called this place, and they said, just so you know, the you're not going to Australia, the UK, France. Those places are, we have 10,000 applicants and 50 spots. You're just not getting in. Pick another one. So I picked Germany and they said, great, we can probably get you a spot there. And I said, well, I wonder why Germany's not as popular. Well, when I got there, there were 49 exchange students. 42 of them were in West Germany and seven of them were in what is now, what now we would refer to as the former East Germany. And I was one of those seven. And the rest of the six of the other ones or five of the other ones were only there for two months or three months. And I was there for the whole year. In, so, in East Germany? It was a former East Germany, but it would only, you know, it was 97. So the wall had fallen five years, you know, six years prior. Is this your fascination with going to North Korea? It all totally. started with this? Definitely. Because I was like, wait a minute, this <laughs> oh used to God. be communist. What are you talking about? And I ended up going to this industrial kind of like city where when I meet Germans today, today, they're like, I would never, I would never go to that city. It seems dangerous. <laughs> and I'm like, I, that's where I went for a year. Have you had Jack Barsky on your show? I have. He's from right near where I was. And yeah. we were, it's funny because he has the same accent as me when I speak German. And yeah. he's like, I've never heard an American speak with an East German accent in my life. And yeah, uh, he's a good friend too. Yeah. So, so George, with all these mad skills you have, is language one of your mad skills as well? Languages. Yep. I, I, I was, what's funny when I was, in, this is just a, uh, a microcosm of the whole thing that, that we were just talking about before. When I was in high school, I got all C's, C minus, whatever in French. And so my narrative was, I'm bad at languages. And then when I went to Germany, at the end of the year, they were like, congrats, out of all the exchange students in the whole country, you have by far the best German. And I was like, oh, you mean of the people that didn't speak a word of German before they got here? And they're like, no, no, all the students. And I'm like, but that one guy, he's had seven years of German before he came. And they're like, yeah, your German is definitely better than that guy's German. And I'm like thinking, wow. how was that possible? How is that possible? And the reason it's possible is in your, if you're in West Germany, everybody wants to practice their English. And when you're in East Germany, everybody speaks a little bit of bad Russian and German. <laughs> and nobody really cared about practicing their English. And if they did, it was like, hello, can you tell me where the bathroom is? You know, it was really basic. <laughs> so I had a choice, have no friends or learn German. And I learned German and I was dreaming in German. And it turned out I'm actually really good at languages. I was just not good at what the French teacher wanted, which was look at this page of this book and memorize this table with exceptions and verb conjugations that you're never going to use 
in speech, and then there's a test on Friday. So I was like, this is dumb. But when you're in Germany and you're speaking all day with a bunch of girls that want to take you dancing, you figure it out pretty quick or you stay home. And I wasn't staying home. You Are know? you an auditory learner? I, I guess so. Yeah. I, don't I know you really read. Know. I, I know you listen to books because I do the same thing. And, yeah. and when you asked for mine, it was waiting for the audible copy. Right. So, uh, so is that where, how you learn best is audible, you think? Or I, I think so. Audio, yeah, because I learn language from listening and speaking. I definitely, I can learn, you know, I'm studying Chinese on Skype. I don't sit there and look at the flashcards. Right. I mean, I have flashcards on my phone, but like my teacher is in China on Skype. And, and then, yeah, when I learned Spanish, I went to Mexico. When I learned German, I was in Germany. I don't know any French, even though I took French for like five years in high school and middle school. How many languages do you speak? Years. Five. English, wow, which... German, some rusty Spanish now, because I haven't used it for a while, even though I live in California. Well, Croatian, which is also a little rusty because it's been a while, and Mandarin Chinese. Wow. That's just incredible crazy. So that brings us up to this this crazy journey. I've always been fascinated by what happened after, because I, I met you after all the law stuff, and this is when you're doing the the amazing tour groups in North Korea. Yeah. How did that all manifest? What was going on internally with your skill sets and what you wanted to do and what your why started kind of morphing into, you think? Sure. Yeah. So when I was in law school, I became sort of infatuated. Infatuated is a weird word to say for an authoritarian regime like North Korea. But I got really interested in places like Turkmenistan, North <laughs> Korea, because I was like, what is with these crazies that rename the calendar? And it's just like and I started getting into the psychology of how they brainwash their population because I thought, wow, there's entire groups of people that don't know what year it is basically outside of their country. What spurred your curiosity <laughs> about that, you think? I had friends who traveled a lot and one of them was a boat captain and he had traveled and been to he wasn't going to France and Spain. He was going to Lebanon right. and Bali or Indonesia, whatever, Bosnia. I mean, he was always on a boat in a weird area doing stuff for science. And he's like, come meet me in Montenegro or whatever. And I do it. And I'm like, this guy's awesome. I love these kinds of travels. And then we would go to some place <clears throat> like Germany. And he's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, what can we even really do here that we would do, you know, when we we're in Bosnia, we're like meeting these strangers and they're taking us in caves that used to be submarine tunnels and there's a party in there and it's an, uh, like a grave. And then we go here and it's like, we're waiting in line and we get into a club and we have a beer and it's 20 euros or whatever, 10 euros. And it was like, I just like the rough and dirty stuff. You know, I want to be able to lay my sleeping bag down on a park bench in Slovenia and then wake up and it's fine. Whereas in Germany, like, I don't know if I'd want to do that. Not because it's any less safe, but because there's just nobody backpacking through Yugoslavia in the early aughts. There's nobody living here who's a foreigner. If they are, they're Russian or something like that. I mean, it was just, I wanted to be off the beaten trail. And then he said, I'm going to North Korea because it finally reopened for American citizens. And I said, well, I'll go with you. So we went to North Korea. And then when I talked about that on my podcast, which was probably just a couple years into my doing my old show, people were like, whoa, you went there? I want to go. So I arranged another trip the year after that, brought a bunch of people with me. <clears throat> then when I got back, I posted it on Facebook, which is now sort of starting to become a thing, social media. Right. And I posted some photos and all the comments were like, next time you go, let me know. So I set up another trip for a few months after that, and I, I just sold the people who had commented on that. So I started a tour company to feed into the tour company that I had bought from, because it was like, 
Brits located in Beijing and they had a really rudimentary website and you had to call them, but you had to call them during China business hours. You know, I was like, you need a website where you email in and there's a form and it puts you, you know, in this thing and you, and you get leads in. So I created, created that, how to North, how to go to NorthKorea.com with a friend of mine, sold it to that company. And that was kind of my first, like, I don't know if you can call it an exit, but I guess it really was an exit. It was a business that I sold to another business. And it just, it was fun because it was like, we're helping people do all kinds of different, th- this is before it was illegal to go to North Korea and right. before the regime was like even worse, I guess, than we all know it is now. We just thought back then, oh, we're fostering engagement. It's right. fine. It's a t- terrible place. You wouldn't want to live there. Now it's like, if you go there, it's, I'm not trying to encourage destabilizing of the, with their nuclear threats and everything. I'll pass right. on that. But that just kind of was like a beginning of, me mixing business, ex- esoteric knowledge, wanting to be off the beaten path. And then, you know, now that I do the Jordan Harbinger show, it's really like I want to interview people who are also kind of off the beaten path, have really interesting stories. And I've, I've learned to create a business getting those stories out there, but while teaching useful skills and also not having to travel to places that have explosions, but no Internet or, you know, gulags, but no Internet in the case of North Korea. You know, now I have my kids here. I don't want to. I, I'm done with dangerous places, mostly, I would say. I'd have to be on a really nice, sort of cushy, guided tour of Turkmenistan before I would even consider going. I, you know, it's got to be safe. And I, w- I can't go to China or North Korea, given the topic of the topics of the shows, you know, episodes I've had of the Jordan Harbinger yeah. show. I could never go back to a place like that. I'm just dumbfounded, Jordan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, I, I, I love chatting with people like you that are so immensely successful because I love highlighting for folks listening. You weren't born like this, no. but it's actually something that anyone can achieve if you have curiosity, transparency, and get out of doors <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and some self-reliance and see, and I'm curious about this little bit aspect of you too. You seem to be a problem solver. So you, you see the glass is half full. You're positive when you engage the world. Yeah, we see horrible things, but you're you're like, all right, horrible things around us, but we can do something about it. We can right. move forward. Is that generally yeah. the way you look at the world? I would say so. Yeah, because you know, I'll do an episode on the Uyghur genocide that that's going on in China, right. and it's like, well, I want to get the story out there. I don't want to ignore it and just post about sunshine and rainbows or something like that. I want to present awareness and then also get people thinking about solutions because otherwise I don't want to say the ubiquitous they because it sounds like I'm a conspiracy theorist but there's plenty of vested interests in getting people to be apathetic towards voting in their elections or caring about issues whether that's I don't even I don't even know I don't even want to give an example whether it's a weaker genocide you know people will say oh well we can't do anything about that it's happening in China we don't control China well actually maybe we start voting for people that are not just kowtowing to CCP officials because they're going to get paid, right? Maybe we actually stand up for some human rights because what's happening over there is disgusting. And you found out that it's disgusting because you listened to the Jordan Harbinger show and you heard from somebody who told you all about what's going on over there. So I I like to do things in in that way. That's, that's a great way to make a difference is generate, generate awareness about that. So am I positive? Yes, in a way, but I'm more like I get angry about things and I get spurred to action. And it's a funny thing that you notice that because a few years ago I asked my mom when I had kids I was like how did you teach me self-reliance was I just always like that and my mom's like yeah kind of but not necessarily you know and I said but you always made me return 
video games to the store if I didn't like them. And if I had clothes I didn't like, you made me return those and you would just sort of stand there and she goes, oh, I was just too chicken to do it myself. I didn't wanna to talk to a shopkeeper and have that awkward interaction where they don't wanna return the thing and you have to say, but it's your policy. And then you're pointing to the thing on the receipt that shows the policy and you say, but it's in writing, so it's legal. I was like, oh, you didn't do that just to teach me to do that? She goes, no, I just didn't want to do it myself because it was embarrassing and awkward. And I thought, that's hilarious. The whole time as an adult, I'm like, my mom fostered me, you know, standing on my own two feet and speaking up for myself. Meanwhile, she was just actually a wimp. <laughs> wow. And she what admitted are you gonna, it. And so what are you doing for your kids? My kids, I'm definitely going to be like, you have to do this yourself if you want this, but it's going to be very hard because of course I'm the guy who's like, I want this thing done right. And if you don't, da, 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 but I, I'm going to have to stand back and let my kid go up to the shopkeeper and order their food. And then if it doesn't come with what they ordered, they have to speak up to the server and get the right thing. Or if they got buy something and it breaks, I'm not going to say, Oh, well, I'll get you another one. I'm like, call the company and you complain. And if they don't take you seriously, then I'll show you how to call the credit card company and dispute the charge. You know, you have to figure this out on your own. I'm not going to do this for you. And because I do think that that's what taught me self-reliance. I didn't realize it was because my parents were too busy slash didn't want to deal with it slash my mom was afraid of social pressure. <laughs> I thought they were actually delivering these lessons on purpose, but it turned out to just be a very fortunate thing because as I got older and I started negotiating things in business and asking for what I want and negotiating contracts, I just remembered being 10 and getting a video game that didn't run well on my computer and the store clerk says, well, I'm sorry, it's no returns, no you know refunds. And I'm thinking, I'm pointing to the back of the receipt at age 10 and being like, it's right here. Do I need to call your manager at corporate headquarters? And they're just like, who is this little shit? You know, <laughs> who is this kid telling me my store policy? And, and so, yeah, th those things were really, those lessons were very useful and they still come in handy to this day. So I, yeah, I have to remember that kind of thing. Like it, it, I can see how somebody in my position with my personality could raise a coddled kid who has, what do they call them? Snowplow parents or bulldozer parents where like the whole <laughs> thing is smoothed out for the kid right. in front of them. I, I have to stand back and it's going to be all I can do to stand back and let him struggle with things to learn because I'll be like, ah, oh, I can do this in five minutes. Call the call the Platinum Ex American Express line and have them concierge take care of this. It's like, no, 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 no. Let him find the number on Google, call, sit on hold, make his case, photocopy the documents, fill out the form. You know, I can see my wife going, he's 11. I'm gonna be like, well, no better time to learn. You know, it's, it's gonna funny. be tough I, for me, I think. Maybe, I kind of see you, hopefully like I see myself, I've loved doing it all over again with my kids. I think you're going to enjoy not necessarily making them do it, but doing it with them because you like doing it too. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's going to be more of a, maybe probably more of a team effort and then a, a solo effort like you went through. So yeah. maybe it'll be that way. So they'll still have the experience, but they get to do it with a great teacher, mentor and guide with them, which kind of forges a, a, a lifelong relationship. My my son, my son and my daughter, they're, they're my best friends, hands down. They're grown now, but it's those relationships that I've loved forging. Jordan, and as we close this up, and boy, I wish we could just keep going for hours. If yeah, you have time, I'd love to do more again. You are so intriguing. You had mentioned one of the reasons why you love the podcast and mm -hmm. what you do is to make the world 
aware to be a better place. Solve those problems out there by making the world aware of them. What's that one or two things someone should do today to start doing a better job of making an impact on the world, do you think? You know, re- make a, I love, this is from my six minute networking course. And I'm, I'm going to say, make a list of 10 people you lost touch with and reconnect with those people now. Not a list of people you necessarily lost touch with. How about the 10 people you would call if you got laid off or your business crumbled? Make that list. Reach out to those people now while you don't have an agenda. So what that will do is it will help you kick the rust off your networking skills. It'll rekindle some pretty important old relationships that you let fall by the wayside. But also it will, hopefully inspire some of those people to do the same thing. And it will, anything that fosters greater connection is usually a a net positive. And then, you know, after you catch up with those folks, either via text, email, phone, whatever it is you do, see if you can just help them with anything, big or small. And I guarantee you'll feel good about that. They'll feel good about that. And it's going to be a start to a skill set. But also, I think that's a, a really easy sort of light, light lift for people to be doing that makes that makes the world it sounds hyperbolic but it makes the world a better place right because you're helping those people with something and and it creates the habit of you helping those people with something and I, I really strongly encourage people to do that the other thing I would say to do again another drill from my course is one person per day go to your text messages scroll all the way to the bottom of your text list that's where all those old sort of dead threads are people you had lunch with three years ago they haven't talked to since then re-engage one of those people every day just say hey how's it going it's been so long i didn't really do a good job of keeping in touch what's new with you i'm living in california doing my podcast just give a brief update on yourself many of them will think you're gonna like try and sell them herbalife protein shakes (laughs) multi-level marketing scam or something right but the half of them will be like, Oh, Hey, good to hear from you. And just catch up with those people without an agenda. And I think you'll be really surprised at how grateful people are to hear from you. And also how, how desperately starved many people are for good connection. And that is something that creates a better mental health, better social health for you and those people. So I think that's like, those are both really light lifts that people can do. And they're, like you said, they're absolutely fantastic for self and for others. And I thank you because you've done this with me when I'm going through your course. I'm like, ah, he's done that with me. Yeah. I love that. You are just a, a gem and you thank are you, making man. the world a better place. I can't thank you enough. And for everyone listening, everything will be in the show notes, but check out jordanharbinger.com, everything there. Take that course and pass it on. It is the best investment in yourself you can possibly make. I recommend it to, matter of fact, I recommended the other day to everyone that's going through any kind of counterintelligence training. Mm. It is literally the best thing you can do for yourself in the world. So check it out, jordanharbinger.com. Jordan, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for coming on. And thank you for dropping your amazing knowledge on the rest of the world. Right back at you, my friend. This is a, a pleasure. It's always good to talk to you. You too. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Forged by Trust. If you enjoyed the show, took away a few new tools, I hope you'll leave a great review of the show to show your support. If you're interested in more information about how to forge your own trust-building strategies, please visit my website at www.peopleformula.com. I'm looking forward to sharing my next Forge by Trust episode with you next week when we chat with my friend and the architect of leaders, Mahela Bersiou.